0: All right, well, uh, let's open in prayer and we'll kick off our time. Thank you, Father, for uh, bringing us together as a body and that you would bless our time. It would be a blessing to you in heaven and that your word would be um, properly represented here. And so we pray uh, that through it, we would be lifted up, It would be encouraged, that the good news would continue to build in our hearts and minds to be better and better, and that our experience in living it out would prove um, prove the, the truth to be truth. And so we uh, we are grateful for the amazing explanation of things in your Word, and we look forward to seeing how it works out this morning. So we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. I almost said tonight. <laughs> so, Ephesians 5. Ephesians. Okay. So, Ephesians 5. Last week we were looking at the um, the truth, right, of flowing out of being, of course, Redeemed and being made new from what chapters 1 and 2 of Ephesians talks about Um, it's one of the more extensive passages in the scriptures uh, Ephesians kicks off with such a great explanation of you know simple and yet great explanation of being our sins being paid for we being redeemed that is to say the redemption or the payment for sins is being accomplished and Kicks into chapter two, of course, where it talks about us by God's power, as our song sang today, by the the, the greatness of His might, if you will, you know, uh, His max strength. It took His that much power to make Jesus a new body, and consequently, it took that much power for Him to make us new children, spiritually speaking, and so. Out of that, then he pours, as we've been looking at, this walk in Ephesians 4. And we're at a point now where he's going to lead down to the practical implications of being a child of light. We've looked at being what it means to be created according to God. and in, in James, it says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness, right? James 1. So, in, if God is light, and in him there is no darkness, then naturally, then in the Scriptures, there should be some evidence— that if we're created katatheon, we're created according to God, that we should be considered by God as children of light, or light children, or we too are light. Right? So we too should be considered life. God is light, and in him there is no darkness, and we're created out of his divine nature, as Peter puts it, partners of the divine nature, then naturally, logically, we should be called. Light or children of light internally, right? That makes sense, right? So look at John 8. John 8, there's a lot of passages that speak to this, but just to touch on a few. John 8, 12. Jesus is um, continuing his discussion with them, and he says, Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Right? So he's, of course, still being mysterious. What is is it to possess or to have the light of life? Well, he further expands on that concept, talking directly To the disciples in chapter 12 of John. So you can turn there. Chapter L12a. Verse 36. He's chitter-chatting with the disciples because he's about to uh, die shortly. He says, verse 36, While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light, right? So now you're a son of light or a child of light. If you believe in him and what he's doing, thus believing what he believes and believing in God's plan that he's predetermined, the result is you become a child of light or a son of light. Of light. And you drop on down to 46 of the same chapter. Chapter 12. I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. So that you'll be light. Look at um, Thessalonians. Thessalonians. <laughs> Thessalusians. 1 Thessalonians 5, you see this as a consistent truth that practically works itself out in the believer's life, because a lot of people say, well, are we going to experience God's wrath in the tribulation period? The answer is no, and that's because we're children of light, not intended for darkness. Right? It's a simple truth. So when you read it, we'll read chapter 5 of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, verses 1 through 9, or 11, I guess. It says, Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anyone, of anything, excuse me, to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night, that doesn't comfort us yet does it <laughs> i don't know while n- notice the there's there's the they them and the you right but you we're going to look at the they them in verse 3 as opposed to the but you in verse 4 cuz he doesn't include us in verse 3 he puts us in verse 4 as but they while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. So they will be saying peace and safety. By the way, that's how you know that um, the day of the Lord isn't quite here yet because there has to be an upheaval and then a false peace. It very well could happen soon. And then he says, but you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. Why are we not in darkness? Verse five. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. We are not of. He's not talking about some actions that you do in the text. He's talking about the quality of your soul and the pursuit of your soul, right? He's not talking about the quality of your flesh or the, or the, the, the corruption that's developing in the flesh as Ephesians 4, right before he says, you're created new, right? Verse 22, where he says, put off the old, the, you know, in reference to your former behavior, Put off the old man, which uh, is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. It's still being, in some sense, corrupted. So he's not talking about that part of us. He's talking about the spiritual part of us, right? But we're not of night, nor we are of day. To be of night is a concept in the Old Testament, throughout Proverbs, throughout Psalms, throughout the Old Testament, right? To be of night. What happens in the night? People go do sins in the night, right? The darkness is in the night. People get drunk at night. People carouse at night. In other words, they work all day and then they go get nuts at night. That's when they go do their sins, right? So, biblically speaking, when he says you're not of night, what he's saying is your soul is not of the quality of one that would run out in the night and just take the night time to go do the carousing and nonsensical things. That's not the soul that you have, Right? It may be the flesh you had, you have from a previous life, but it's not the spirit that you have. It's not the soul you have. And you're not of, the, you're not of the, the darkness. That is to say, darkness doesn't reside in the soul. Nor of night. Then he says, so then practically speaking, verse six, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Right? In other words, this is what he says, be renewed in the Spirit's mind. This is another way of saying the same thing. Be renewed in the Spirit's mind and pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on around you. Don't just get lulled into the way the world wants to pull you into its fascinations. Don't be lulled into the way the world wants to persuade you, right, into what is valuable or important. I have a question about that. Nope, Garrett. Yeah. All right. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> do you do you, do you think it would also be? Do you not get lulled into like, well, Lord's just gonna take care of things. I'm just gonna kind of exit out of the world as well, and just be like, it's just gonna be what it is, and just not do anything. Well, for sure, because that's a worldly mentality. Okay. Right. I mean, we are called. What's our commission from from the Lord? Matthew 28, 19, 20. Go into the world, make, preach, preach the good news, make disciples, you know, baptize them in my name. So it's like, so you're, 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 uh, you're preaching the truth, you know. He's given authority to us, uh, passed it down. Uh, and uh, he says, all authority has been given to me under heaven and earth, right? So I'm telling you, go out, preach the good news, make disciples. You know, high five, knock self out, right? right. So to um, to have this mentality, well, God's going to save who He's going to save, and therefore I'm not responsible. You don't know who he's going to save, who he's not going to save. And, and regardless, he didn't leave us here to be, you know, we are his hands and feet. Therefore, uh, there's a participation uh, of that. I think it's very important, you know, in fact, I'm going to send everybody, there's this one particular NDE, um, Actually the second part of it's not indie. He did die that it's one that i maybe some of you have, have watched before a long time ago. I saw the original one and this is a newer version, but his description he went to hell, this one guy. But he he was so traumatized and he had PDS whatever, you know, post traumatic distress disorder. That he said, God, two years later, because he couldn't get over it, he's freaking out, you know, how do I get over this experience. Just God saved me out of it. I love him and he's working his high and end off for the Lord all the time. He's like working himself to death, like terrified to go back to hell. So he's just you know his faith is there, but he's like, work, 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 work. So it's the most beautifully um calm, laid out version of someone who's been through this experience to go to heaven and then two years later go to hell uh, go to hell and then two years later go to heaven. Bruce is taken in a vision. In a you know, vision or Spiritually or whatever, his description—he's so well balanced, and and um, both there's there's two of them. There's two of them. And I think it's very important to to listen to them because you get a his 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 experience of what he saw in heaven is different than a lot of people, which is just like you know they're at the cotton, you know, cotton candy and, and Ferris wheels and you know it's like a it's like a fair, you know, everything. So his was very his description. Uh, was very calm, and and it was very logical. It sounded very logical. Uh, his description of hell is very much like what a lot of other people say, uh, even though he didn't get into as much description of it. In that particular podcast, I'd go back and listen to some of his earlier ones, when he did, if you want to hear more about his hell one. And the first part, the first probably 30 minutes of the heaven one is him talking about the hell in a little bit, but I think it's... Ex- Everybody should listen to, if you listen to NDEs, you should listen to his second one because he talks about how he tries to evangelize people who had NDEs because they believe that they're going to heaven because they weren't there long enough to see that the heaven they were in was actually hell being masked because he got a chance to actually go through the hell and look in the cells where people would enter in. And at first, the first part of their experience was grandma's here my relatives and this is wonderful and da 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 and then they would all turn on, but they weren't there long enough to experience the turn, and so he talks about he's like very adamant, you know, about that. So it's a very important indeed to to, um, to to listen to, huh? You remember his name? Yeah, I'll send it out to everyone. I'll just put it on the um, on the Slack. Good
1: question.
0: Yeah. So I think it was verse seven for those who sleep. Sleep at night, and it talks about sleep in verse 6. What's the word for sleep? Sleep. <laughs> so it seems like it's saying don't go to sleep. It's a concept, right? We'll get back to that. Let me finish what I'm saying here. Okay. All right, you're okay. Because we're going to make it through the end of verse 11. There. Uh, but the point is, is I'm, I'm, the reason why I'm going down this road is to point you to, to try to build up so when you listen to this, you'll pay attention to one particular aspect of this. Because if you if you have his mindset, you won't sleep. You know, because you can sleepwalk. In other words, you can sleep through life. It's a concept of sleeping through life. It's just it's just seeing what's right in front of you, doing what satisfies you, doing what makes you advance, and you're just kind of sleepwalk through life, not paying attention to the world, not paying, paying attention to others. That would be considered sleepwalking or sleeping through life, right? Not like spiritually asleep. No. Yes. Not spiritually asleep, but allowing your, your flesh to, thus, uh, to, to just pursue its general path in life, right? Get a job, go to work, come home, watch your favorite TV show, go to bed. It's just leading you along the way. And thus, in a way, your spirit is as if it's sleeping, though our spirit doesn't sleep. So, anywho, going back to the discussion on the guy... One of his descriptions was the... It's cool. He's. It's just really... I've never heard anybody, heard anybody describe it. He said, Heaven, the, the roads are actually gold brick. And you hear, you hear that by a lot of people who've seen it. He goes, But outside of heaven, it's really cool. He says, The roads are like um, gold dust. It's like dirt. And, and it's... Um, <laughs> he said, gold it's gold... It's gold he says it's 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 dirt, but it's du- it's gold. In other words, it's gold dust. So you're walking on gold dust. It's beautiful. And he says, and he says the homes that God is making for you. He says well, He goes, you have to understand how he goes. If you ever seen like and he, he he referred to a particular mansion, at like a palace. And he said this is where you and your family live. And he goes, it's like acreage. Unbelievable acreage, you know. It's like, you know, five thousand acres, you know, whatever it is, you know, you would have, and you have. He says, and it's a, it's a real palatial mansion, like it's real, you know. And we, we walked and we saw it, and anyway, and I saw this one, and you would see the person and his family lived there, and then another person. You have everybody has this level of life, and uh, and what it struck me was by listening to that, because not many people get a chance to see outside of the city into the, you know, the country, the countryside. Um, What you get a glimpse of there is the nature of the rewards. That's where I was leading to, the nature of the rewards. And it made me jealous listening to it. It was profoundly motivating (laughs) to value that life forever as opposed to something more temporal here, right? It made me, it made me, um, you know, it's like, okay, you know, should I sell my shoes? You know, it it may, it's very motivating uh, to go, okay, that's, yeah, you definitely want to build treasure in heaven. You know, you definitely want to have that. That description of heaven was so, um, was so beautiful and so motivating. Uh, it was amazing, and I think you know when he says, um, you know, don't sleep, others do. Be on alert. Yeah, but you got to understand the value that you're going to gain by walking in newness of life here. You, the value you gain there is so ridiculous it's not like you can you're getting like silver appliances as opposed to gold appliances I mean I, I think it's, it, it's a it's significant there's significance to the reward in heaven right it's truly significant and uh, what was your original question so, um, that was basically yeah yeah it's, it's significant so I, yeah I can't remember what your original question is my, my original one was what you were, were stating about you know people Sleeping, they not like. Um, you know, oh, is it uh, being in the world? Tuning out this is the flesh. I yeah, think you said like it, tuning you, out. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, tuning out. Uh, yeah, just being like, Lord's gonna so, take care of it. Yeah, the Lord's that, gonna take that, care, that care of, of it. Yeah, of there mentality. we go. There, there it is. That's what it was. In other words, just tuning out. Let the Lord take care of of the future and all this stuff. And it's like that's if you have that mentality and you get to heaven, I feel sorry for you. Yeah, yeah you're you're gonna be blessed and all that. But I think the greatest initial grief in heaven will be people realizing what they left on the table. Hmm. So when it says, yeah. like, be on the alert, right? And like, be yeah. awake, like, being on the alert is like seeing ultimately like where the Father and Christ are working so that you can enter in. in I think be on alert is the things that are brought to you. Be on alert, okay, let's just break it down as to the closest, the closest enemy we have, be on alert. What's the closest enemy you have? My flesh. Your brain. Don't just say your flesh, your brain, right? Because my, my finger doesn't communicate to me, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> my, my brain does. So there's enemy number one. What What is it going to rebel against? The gospel. What is it going to rebel against? Faith, right? Because without faith can't please God. What's it going to rebel against? Love. Love, but what's it gonna rebel against? I'm allowed. Authority. <laughs> Authority, number one, oh. right? <laughs> <laughs> she goes, that I'm says, all "I'm all, all out." out. <laughs> she goes, "Oh, that explains it." <laughs> yeah, get it. Yeah, yeah. She goes, <laughs> her her flesh is like, "You covered, covered it. We took care of all." Yes, faith, love, hope, authority, because Christ's lordship is now suppressing the flesh, and the flesh doesn't like to be held under the thumb of being owned, right? No one likes to be owned, and uh, our flesh was purchased. Our spirit was purchased, but it was made new, so it, it's in it's in a family love relationship with God and with the and with the Son, the God, the Father, and God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. So we don't mind, the it's not an ownership, it's a sonship, right? But the flesh is owned, therefore, you first start with your flesh, you know, your, your, your brain. Uh, and the fact that it, you have to constantly beat your body, and make it your slave, right? Because you're, it's, that's, that's, that's battle number one. Battle number two, where's battle number two? After you get past the flesh the closest people to you giving you bad advice right your phone probably is equal to number 2 because it's more in your face the stuff you read on facebook the stuff you read on instagram the stuff you see on youtube stuff you 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 get through emails whatever it is alluring you enticing you saying think this way feel this way uh, uh, enjoy this appreciate this indulge in this right um, how could they How dare they Blah 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 And uh, Or you should have this You should long for this Blah 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 So you have Your, your, your people around you And Your phone You know Your computer Now say Any in electronics Right There's your second That's your second Place Of battle Right So you have all this Battling against you You can't just Roll over Right, you have to be on alert because the very first thing that gets you is your own brain, and your own brain is fed by the world, and the world is the people around you and your electronics nowadays—TV or computers or phones. Uh, and so that'd be number two, right? What's number three? I don't know. Just whatever else that comes out you outside of the people closest to you, your mom. Uh number three, your mom or your mother in law, maybe. For some people your mother in law. <laughs> and others your mom. But uh <laughs> got the hecklers in
1: the back over there.
0: Your mom. Um uh, for sure, your mom sometimes, you know, your dad, sometimes uh mother in law, some sometimes random people your neighbors closest to you. <coughs> Outside of that, people People a little further away. People at work, uh, it, and so it goes, right? So your government is is out there as a as an extension. So you're being on guard from all the all the uh, the potential evils that the world might bring upon you, uh, and so that's something to uh, you know that's what he's talking about in the text, but. Concerning your question, that's more in terms of I would be more concerned about the fact that we're left here to be Jesus to the world, right? So if you have the attitude, a selfish attitude, God, it drives me nuts. Well, I'll just run. I'm just gonna get my property and hang out and do my thing and we'll just hide out. It's like, dude, what are you talking about? We're left here to advance the kingdom, you know, and whatever way... <laughs> you can so that makes no sense to me what that reminds me of is the talent right god gives somebody a uh, piece of gold i hate it when people think the talent like your piano playing no it's not talking about piano playing it's talking about a piece of gold right so god gives you some some gold some treasure of wisdom or truth or, or life some gifted some some gift in that way and you just hide it away and use it for yourself lick on it, love on it, caress it, and then, you know, it's your security in the background. And then uh, he says, why, why didn't you invest this? You know, why didn't you do something good with this? And uh, that person, he, it suggests that is, is not saved, right, from the text. Get away from me. Psh, you know, gives him the right foot of fellowship, <laughs> Right? <laughs> I don't know if you grew up in a some religious backgrounds. It was all, when you come in, you, you're joining the church, you get the right hand of fellowship. Well, I've always gotten the right foot of fellowship, right. so it's, uh... <laughs> oh, okay, so anyway, going back to the text. But anyway, I will send those out to you. I, I listened to them on the drive yesterday. I went yesterday to minister to share the gospel. I drove down to Chattanooga, two and a half hours sat down, shared the gospel for an hour and a half and then spent some time with the the guys and for 45 minutes and then drove right back and then last night I got back, cleaned up, went right back to Nashville and did the same kind of thing up to with Aaron and that was fun and uh, then came home. So it was a, it was a busy day yesterday. It was like six and a half hours of driving and gospel sharing. But, uh, but it was neat because it He's just doing that very thing, you know, taking the gospel out, making it happen. So he says, um, so verse six, so then let us not sleep as others do, but be alert and be sober. For those who sleep, do they're sleeping at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Again, if you understand that now, is that yeah, it's that's... pretty simple? If you read the book of Proverbs, You'll see that over and over and over. Yeah. It's just a concept of the concept of sleepwalking, basically. It's like him saying constantly, They're the dead ones. Well, they're not dead, they're the necros ones, the living dead. He often talks about we're raised up from among the dead ones. It's like from among the necros ones, or the living dead. In other words, the people who are alive but are dead to God. Therefore, they're the dead ones. So, <clears throat> It's that concept of of uh, being spiritually dead. (laughs) So he says, verse eight. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having and uh, yeah. Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. Once again, you see faith and love is the focus there. And as the helmet as a helmet, the hope of salvation. In other words, don't worry, you're going to be saved by God. For God has not determined us, the word destined us is determined something. He's not determined something for us. He's not determined to us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I can only hope that that means the wrath of Satan or the wrath of God. It doesn't necessarily say that, but nonetheless, I hope that is the full extension of the ideal of wrath. Otherwise, we may experience as some aspect of that in the birth pains. But, that being said, Lot was saved out of, in 2 Peter chapter two, Lot was saved out of Sodom before God's destruction, and that was to demonstrate that God knows how to to rescue his godly ones. Most people would say, was God confused about Lot because he was one of the more ungodly characters in (laughs) Abraham's life? Well, if you have a new soul, this is a beautiful example of the reality of it. Lot was a new creation with a bad family, you know. He was, just because it's a new creation doesn't mean he wasn't, he was a good father. And just because he was a new creation didn't mean he was a good husband as far as his practical outworking of that. He was probably like many men of that time where he would go out in the field and spend all of his time working with his guys. He had his sheep and his, his livestock. He'd come home and his wife was in the city his wife became a city woman, and his daughters became city girls, right, in a city that was one of the worst cities, from a lascivious standpoint on the earth so bad that God had to destroy it. Not many cities did he actually utterly destroy himself, right, from the sky. So because he was probably more of an absent father and enjoying his work, his family turned to be more like the world, thus resulting in God having to take them out and even going to rescue them. But the wife looked back, turned into salt. Probably came a place where the deer came and licked it. <laughs> so we we're like, there's a pillar of salt in there now. I'm like, I'm pretty sure the animals would have taken that thing down by now. It's, uh, it's not gonna be there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Water and animals. That, that salt pillar's gone. And there are other writings that talks about the fact that God brought about the. Uh, uh, an easy but early death to the righteous people before the flood. It was Noah was the only man left on earth who was righteous because God kind of allowed the righteous to phase out. Maybe died in their sleep or something. Who knows? Maybe they died really happy, like ripping on a two-stroke, and they were jumping in the, the Grand Canyon. They were trying to make it, and they couldn't, and they blew it up. That's the best way to die, right? A blaze of glory. Who knows? So whatever the case, however they died... Yes, God allowed, uh, he's, he would save his, his righteous ones. And Lot is a perfect example of that. In fact, but here's some, of the, here's some of the realities of the situation. Because of Lot's sinfulness of being putting himself in a bad situation, uh, he found himself as a captive amongst the wars of the kings, right? And then Abraham had to save him. So Lot became an illustration perpetually of God saving the godly person out of danger because simply he put himself in danger which was kind of stupid right it's precisely why we moved out of California. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it's too much like sodom at this point to stay you know sodom wasn't just about sodomy sodom from we get our word sodomy from the word the city of sodom but it's, sodom was wasn't limited to that it was it was about the cruelty uh, that they had toward people, not just the sensual uh, aspects of it. And, and they're evil in that way. So you said Lot was a new creation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody who saved Old Testament was a new creation. It was just, they just didn't know it. How were they saved? By faith. Okay. Right? Genesis 12, they were saved by faith. Abraham believed God, and it was accredited to him as righteousness. So if someone believed God that the sacrificial system would accomplish the temporal, fleshy things that they intended to accomplish, and they believed God that he was going to give the promise of the Messiah, which is spoken in Deuteronomy chapter 30, so if they read through the law, which was Genesis through Deuteronomy, considered the law, right, then they would have read the ending, basically right before the end of Deuteronomy, you have the promise of the new covenant, the new heart. So they all were looking forward to this time in the future where God was going to change their heart. And in Deuteronomy 18, uh, where there was a prophet who would come like Moses, right? So they they knew that there was this Messiah, the promise in Genesis, that's the seed of the woman who crushed Satan's head, the seed... Um, of Abraham would bless the nations. So they were looking for this individual. Even in Genesis through Deuteronomy, you're constantly looking for an individual throughout these first five books that is going to be a, a person that's going to bring some wonderful, amazing solution to the problem of the sin of Israel, right? But not just to Israel. Going back to Genesis 12, to the world, to the nations, everybody. Before there was an Israel, there was an Abraham and Israel was just designated amongst the nations that came from Abraham to be the light to those nations. But it was never just about Israel. It was always about the world. That's why I said God so loved the world, not just Israel. The only difference between then and now in the Old Testament was number one, they didn't know what was going on to the extent that we do, and Jesus' death payment hadn't been technically given. Therefore, they couldn't enter heaven. They had to go into paradise from a spiritual standpoint after death. But while on earth, the major difference was the fact that the Holy Spirit didn't seal them up. So the difference between the Old Testament uh, Holy Spirit experience and the new, New Covenant, Old Covenant Holy Spirit experience and the New Covenant Holy Spirit experience was that the Spirit, as he describes in John 14, would be with them. He talks to the disciples, he says, For now the Spirit is with you, but it shall be in you right? So the Holy Spirit will come upon Samson and leave Samson. The Holy Spirit will come upon Saul and leave Saul. Come upon David and and leave David when it needed to, right? And that's why in Psalm 51, I think it is David's panicking, because when God would take his spirit away from a priest or a king or a prophet, that means he was abandoning that prophet, priest or king, and he was moving on from them and going to replace them, right? And that means you're going to die, right? So um, because he's got to move you out of the way because you got loyalties, and he's got to replace you with somebody else, and he gives his spirit to that person. When he would do this, a lot of times, negative things would happen to that person, and so forth and so on. So the spirit would come. So in Psalm 51, I think it's Psalm 51, uh, David prays and says, take, uh, please do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, some people, ignorant of the actual new covenant, assume that David's afraid of losing his salvation, which is utterly ludicrous. It's the concept, the fact that the Holy Spirit was not guaranteed as, inher- as, as as a guarantee of our inherited, resurrected body in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. He was not a guarantee. He was not promised to indwell. He was, our bodies were not the temple of the Holy Spirit. In the New Covenant, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is sealed up into the day of redemption. It is finalized. So our body is protected by the Holy Spirit— And is dwelled by the Holy Spirit, and we will never experience the weakness in the flesh that they experienced because they didn't have the Holy Spirit permanently walking with every individual Israelite uh, who was saved. So that would have been a great disadvantage to them. We do have a tremendous advantage to have the Holy Spirit comforting us, giving us wisdom. Guiding us Praying on our behalf Strengthening us When we need strength He is there to help He is the helper He's the consummate uh, Helper Right So anyway Now look at the The next And we'll finish up this text This was just supposed to be The introduction (laughs) Verse 10 Says He died for us So that Whether we are awake Or asleep We will live together With him Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. So encourage one another building up one another. How? Well, you are children of light, right? In other words, even though the focal point of that text is not him talking about being a child of light, it's the premise. It's the basis. When I talk about, you'll see the gospel as the base presupposition throughout the text. Thessalonians is one of those books where he doesn't ever unfold the gospel in any kind of magnificent way. He refers to it a sentence here and a sentence there and he's talking to them about things and he's referring to the gospel that he assumes that they know so rather than teaching the gospel he'll say one little verse because blah 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 and then he goes on to talk about the application of the good news in their particular group or in their city or in their lives at that time First and foremost, going back to what you said, he's like, don't get up on the house in your pajamas and wait for Jesus to come back. Go to work, make a living, enjoy yourself, and care for others, right? Because they were like, if Jesus is coming back, then us rich people, you know, we'll just just pillage off the rich and (laughs) kick back relax and wait for Jesus to come back. He's like, no, stop that. So now Ephesians chapter five. Fishion. (laughs) Ephesians. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know why I have an urge to do that when I say fi- <laughs> you know it's Malachi, the Italian prophet an <laughs> <laughs> it must be the French author it comes out of me <laughs> so So last time we looked at the fact that he starts off this section with, therefore, be imitators of God, right? Why are you imitators of God? Because you are what? A beloved, don't leave that out, beloved child. Not just a child, not less a snotty-nosed, red-headed stepchild. You are a... Beloved child. (laughs) You're a beloved child. And so that's different than just a child. It really is. It's a very different feel, right? If everybody's in the class of beloved child, then that has to be the, the belief. You have to start there when it comes to relating to God. You have to start with, I'm a beloved child in your, your prayer, in, in whether you've done good or bad, whether you're proud of yourself for your faith or your deeds uh, in a good way, or whether you are feeling sorrowful and horrible about your life and your deeds and your decisions and your walk, you have to start with your mind that, okay, I am beloved. He may not like me very much right now, but I am beloved. <laughs> he may not like my flesh very much right now, but I am a beloved child. And your beloved child, because God made you according to himself, right? It goes back to chapter one when he says he predetermined us to adoption as sons. And the adoption was, is one that's unique because it's not an adoption like we experience adoption. It's adoption unto new life, right? So he adopts us into the family And then kills you, makes you new, and you become an actual member of the family. So, there's, um, we don't do that with adoption, right? We're adopting some other kid, that is to say, some other parent's set of chromosomes, right? The kids that you adopt generally don't have your chromosomes, they have someone else's chromosome. So, you're adopting someone outside of you that's not of you, right? Your DNA is not their DNA. But our adoption is one through a miracle, right? Our adoption is one through being made new by the power of God that took all of his power, according to the surpassing greatness of of his power, to do it. So the adoption is a miraculous one. It's an adoption legally because he paid for sins and he rose to newness of life. He rose Christ to newness of life, the Father did. But it's not one that's just legal. The adoption is an actual adoption, which makes you an actual child of light and therefore a beloved child, right? I understand that? So <clears throat> because he says that, now he says, now, now that you know your beloved child and you understand why you shouldn't lie because God doesn't lie, why you should not do all these things that he mentions here, He says in verse one, uh, verse two. Therefore, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to us. Is that what it says? No, it says an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. This is very important because. When you offer yourself to when you're to God, when you're working for someone else, your mentality cannot be that you're offering yourself to them. You're offering yourself to God for the benefit of the person, which means this: they may not appreciate the benefit. Right? They may not appreciate the words. They may not appreciate. The sacrifice. Did everybody, Jesus laid down his life for every single person he talked to. And he spoke, every time he spoke, he spoke to the benefit of the person in some way or another, right? Well, I should say for the most part. I can think of one incident he didn't speak to the benefit of the person, Judas, right? (laughs) Do what you do quickly, all right, Better that that man shouldn't have been born. Beside that one guy, all right? And maybe one other one that I can't think of, like Satan when his discussion said. But besides that, there's most often, he's talking, it's benefiting the people. So there's always some caveat somewhere that I'm, well, what about this? So, you know, I don't know, just to to cover my bases. For the most part, he speaks to the benefit of the people listening. Even if he's... Even if he is admonishing them, rebuking them, it's to bring light, right? Because that's what we're going to discuss this morning, bringing light. When he spoke to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers. He said, that doesn't sound very nice. He's not a very good evangelist, right? <laughs> He's not a very nice guy, right? He says, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor. Wow, that was a bit extreme, don't you think, Jesus? You know? Um, and, and so he says when his disciples even said in Matthew 15, well, don't you know when you say these things, you offend them? Like, these are the people that want to kill him and his disciples are trying to cater to the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees because they want, you know, in their minds, they're all starry-eyed. They think that that Jesus' ministry, if he was just a little bit more, uh, you know, likable, that they would hear him. And what does he say? They're blind guys leading the blind, leave them alone. Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be ripped up and thrown out into the fire, right? Like, in other words, guys, give the program. If they're saved, they're gonna love my word because my sheep hear my voice. If they're they're gonna be saved and God's drawing them, they're gonna love my words. At least through a curious fashion, they're gonna be drawn to me. And if they're not, they're not. So get over yourself, right? (laughs) In other words, but he was saying, I'm offering myself to God by telling these people this. Their response does not determine how well I loved, right? My wife's response doesn't tell how, much, how, how good I am as a, as a husband. My children's response to me doesn't speak to how good I am as a father. But from the world's perspective, if a child falls down on the floor and screams and kicks, and the mom has to sort of drag the lifeless Little kid, you know, he's just kicking and screaming and dragging the feet across the floor, to out of the away from the Lego store, you know, to get him out of there. It looks like the parent is just this terrible parent, but the parent might be a great parent, might be parent of the year from wisdom and practice. But the kid is just the devil, right? But before the world, it's going to look like the parent's just this terrible parent. So it has nothing to do with the response of the people. It has to do with just yourself and being contented in yourself. If you know in your heart you're doing what's appropriate in the context of your life, if you're offering yourself for the good of people, regardless of whether they're mature enough to handle it or understand it, or they like it, right? I offer, I, yesterday I preached the gospel to a few different people. Some of them loved it. Some of them... I don't know if they looked. They might not have liked it at all. And some of them heard part of it and and literally ran out of the room. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <clears throat> it, it was, uh, I'm offering myself to God as a fragrant aroma. Notice you're offering yourself to God as a good smelling thing, right? So you're offering yourself to God as a good smelling thing. In other words, I want my life I won't, that's why I prayed this morning and I think of it every time. I want God to smell us this morning. <laughs> smell <laughs> us and like what we smell like when it comes to the way we interact, the praise that we, we offer to him when our singing. Think in terms of your singing, right? When you sing, when you sing, you're offering yourself to God. So you can sing or you can sing, Right? You're offering yourself to God. So you're either going to smell to God like a fragrant aroma, because back in the day, what that's referring to is the, the special, God had a special perfume, sort of uh, aroma, fragrance, incense thing that he wanted burned to himself that was, that was holy just for him, and no one was allowed to have it in their houses. No one was allowed to have it. In fact, if you tried to make this or change it, God would kill them. You know, so God, in fact, he did kill two, uh, of the priests, the sons, for uh, burning what he called strange fire because they changed the, the formula and he didn't like the aroma. In other words, it was a perfect aroma that he himself designed and wanted burned to him. And Christ was, a, that was a symbol of Christ's life. And then our lives will smell good to him like that sacred fire rather than... Uh, unsacred fire you know a strange fire or our lives will not right and that's how you walk and the things you pursue and the way you treat others and so forth and so on but sometimes it's the way you stand there's we know it's easy to see the positive ways to love we you know the hypocritical love's pretty easy to spot where I find it to be the most deceiving and the difficult, most difficult way to stand is when you know you're standing right before the Lord, which I've had to do so many times in my life, it's ridiculous. When you're standing right before the Lord then you're standing in good conscience and you're managing yourself the best you can in that situation in a way that you see Christ himself manage himself or Paul manage himself or Peter manage himself. So within the, within the parameters of a respectable Context of how the apostles in Christ had managed themselves. And then you have to do that in the face of, of people who say you're not a fragrant aroma. Right? So there's that side of it. And you have to accept the fact that you're not going to smell good, as 2 Corinthians says, to those who are perishing, and sometimes even to the children of God who are who are um, immature. <coughs> And you're going to smell like a fragrant aroma of God to those who are being saved. The gospel is a fragrant aroma. It's it's to to those who are being saved, as Second Corinthians says. But it's a stench to those who are not, right? But your life will often present itself. Stop. Your life will often uh, smell to a believer whose flesh is not under control, whose spirit is not mature it will smell not pleasant and therefore they will do everything in their power to their flesh will anyway to get you to conform to their social construct and that is where certainly as a husband you've experienced that you know every if you're a husband you have experienced that a wife's flesh will will fight for that um that for to control the man and then hate the fact that if he actually gets controlled by the woman, she will disrespect him. You know, it's and so funny, so it's like you know, become like me. How dare you, you wimpy man? You know, so you should be stronger. Okay. But anywho, kids are the same way. No kid respects a weak parent, but every kid wants their parent to give them everything they want. And they'll fight them, despise them when they don't, at times. But they'll grow up angry and bitter. Why didn't you care for me? Why didn't you discipline me? Why did you let me turn out the way I did? (laughs) Right? (laughs) It's like, can't win. The old adage, darned if I am, darned (laughs) Darned if I ain't. Yeah. So, anyway, that's a... We could dig into that for a very long time, but that's an important, when, you, when, you, when it comes to being a fragrant aroma, when you offer yourself to people, that doesn't mean the people, that doesn't, the, there's not a quali- uh, precedent that the people will accept it as good. A message can be preached that tickles ears and it could be good. The Lord's pleased with that message and it makes people's ears tickle because they love the gospel. Or a message, message could be preached and the gospel's preached And the people don't love it. So you don't know whether your actions or your deeds or your gifts or your service, you don't know if any of it's going to be of any quality to the people you're serving. That's irrelevant. That's irrelevant. Um, Look at Elijah's life if you want a good example, right? Uh, He is one of the foremost people in the Bible, and yet he accomplished some of the least when it came came to... um, he didn't start a big ministry. Half the time, he's running for his life, whining about things, you know, and I can't blame him. It was a primitive time, and it was difficult, right? And sometimes you just need a nap and a good meal from an angel and foot rub, right, you know? And, uh, you know, and wake up, you feel better about life, you know? But you just need a snack. It must have been the best angel bread ever. Uh I slept well. Wake up feeling good again. Oh, life's not so bad. So, but Elijah didn't accomplish that. He, he got kicked out, you know, had to had to hide away at some widow's house, comes back, the rain, the, he does the fire thing. It's not like there's an, there's no grand revival with this guy, right? Never. You know, Elisha Elijah comes in, he, he kind of turns around a little bit with him, but then it kind of falls away again. So, there's, there's nothing ever grand about Elijah's life except that. He was one of the premier people God loved and only the second only other person in history at least written about that God loved and appreciated so well that his offering to God was so smelt so good that he took him up alive, right? Him and Enoch. And when you look at what he did, it wasn't what David, he didn't build a kingdom. He didn't do what Solomon did, be a light to the world, right? He didn't do what Samuel did bring about, you know, God's order and his uh, sort of bring back out of the, the darkness of the judges, bring back God's, uh, God's integrity back to Israel. And he didn't do much of anything, uh, but he represented God. So there's, there's those times, as all I'm saying is, where you're David and your offering is doing something great. And then there's those times where you're Elijah and you're doing Amazing, great things, and you get no accolades and, and almost no credit in the world for it. In fact, you're just running for your life all the time. So there's the two extremes, and some you know. And so life isn't about those two extremes, but you do have those extremes in Jesus's life. You see them. You see those moments where he's rejected. You see those, but in those moments where he's loved. But the bottom line is, to God, his life was a fragrant aroma because he offered himself to God. And when you offer yourself to God, sometimes people like it, sometimes people don't. And you have to be confident in your faith to know whether or not you'd be content with their discontentment. You have to learn to be content with people's discontentment and be patient for God to discipline them and help them grow if they're children of God, or be patient with them, if they're not children of God, for him to draw them and save them because that could take years and years and years to do. Right? It could take a long time. So you don't know. So you can't get frustrated. You guys get, you can't get frustrated. You have to just be patient. Keep being a fragrant, fragrant, being a consistent, fragrant aroma to God and offer yourself to God in such a way that you are contented with yourself because you have to be self-focused when it comes to your contentment on how you present yourself. As I say, you have, to, you have to be contented or you have to be confident, excuse me, in your faith on why you do what you do regardless of the outcome of the people, right? Saved or lost, mature or immature. Anyway, Again, there's a lot there. I just wanted to provoke thought because that's a, this is a, that to me is one of the most important texts. It's loaded with application that goes deep, 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 deep into the, the recesses of every fabric of life because everywhere you live, in all the areas of authority and in all the friendships, this is the text that is the premier one. You're always offering yourself to God as a fragrant aroma. Therefore, you're always interacting with Him on everything. Everything. And that means you are, the question is, am I content with the way I offered myself in this context to my wife, to my children, to my employees, to my employer, to the the government, to to, uh, the people in the church? Am I contented? Do I believe in my heart and in my belief from an articulate text and from the examples of all the men who lived before me that I am a fragrant aroma to God right now, right? If you can answer that and say, yes, then you can rest. And you can say, if I'm wrong, just like Paul, in 1 Corinthians 4, if I'm wrong, verse six, God will teach me, right? I'm not acquitted because of my contentment. In other words, just because I'm contented doesn't mean that it's not more for God to show me. It doesn't mean I'm right. It just means that I believe I am. And that's an important place to be. I believe I'm in a good place. I believe that my offering to God in this context was a sweet smelling aroma regardless of how anyone else sees it, my life, I am where I am because of that attitude. If I didn't have that attitude, I'd have melted down back in Georgia back in 1992, you know, 1991, when I started bringing forth the word and getting crushed, right? If I doubted myself then, then I would not have developed. The only way to develop is to believe that you are a fragrant aroma and then let God test that through time. Because you're going to mature. Of course, five years from now, you'd do it differently than you would today, but that's irrelevant. God doesn't hold me accountable to the maturity of the future. He accepts the maturity I have now and rewards the maturity I have now. And it is still a fragrant aroma, even if I would do it better five years from now, because it's the best I can do now. Right, I would certainly manage life different if I had the maturity now. Back in 1991, right, 1990 when I was saved, and I say 1991 because that's really when I started kicking off after I grew in knowledge a bit. So it's just an important thing to consider. All right, this. Let's read through this real quick. He says, verse three, the rest of this is fairly simple, but immorality and impure and or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as what? Why? Because it goes back to this. Why? Because it's not proper among the holy ones. In other words, is it proper for a child of God, a beloved child, someone created according to God's own divine nature, someone created according to God? Is it proper for the lifestyle, again, the lifestyle of immorality to be there? Does that fit? Does God pursue immorality? No. How about impurity? Right? And I can talk... In a more mature audience, without the kids, I could talk to you about the ways in which the world promotes impurity. Because you could, if you want to know what impurity was, go back and look at, at some of the things that God prescribed that would make you unclean physically in the Old Testament, right? Some of the things that you would touch, some of the things you would interact with, right? Death, blood, all kinds of various other things, Um there, there were there, were, there you, you then you let your imagination run with that on how people apply themselves today sensually and you go oh I get it right impurity and and then you go greed does it fit the child of God for his name to be associated with greed so again to be named among you it's like you don't want your name to be associated with being, oh, Greg's that greedy guy, or Greg's that impure guy. You know, we often think about guys. It's, oh, that guy, yeah, he's a, he's a player. Or this guy, oh, he's, a, he's stingy. Like, you know people where their name is associated with a behavior, right? You know people, or have known people, I'm sure, in your lifetime, where their name is associated with a behavior. And so, ask yourself, as a beloved child, created according to God, is, is my name associated with a behavior, right? I have to get rid of that. He's saying it's not proper amongst someone who is holy. You are holy. The group is holy. It doesn't fit the group, and it doesn't fit you. He says, he says it again, right? uses my, my favorite term, fitting, in the, in the next verse. And there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather give, giving of thanks. Again, what a lot of this is is inappropriate sexual jokes or horrible, cruel, dark jokes, right? That kind of thing of coarse jesting uh, is is not appropriate. It doesn't fit the child of God's life. Does it fit? Say does 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 do the words that I'm rep, that I'm wanting to kick out, does this joke, does this story, does this fit the way a child of God would talk? Well, if Jesus was standing next to me, would he go, good one, Greg? You know, good one. Oh, I like this story. This is a funny one. Listen, you know, listen, Andy, Greg's got a good one for you, you know, you know it, a dark story, a horrible event, a sensual joke that's outside of the context of something funny within marriage that two married people would enjoy, right? Something inappropriate that doesn't fit. So language, excuse me, language that doesn't fit the child of God's life, yet does it fit. not is it wrong or right the issue is does it fit right does it fit sometimes speaking things fits you go to the old testament god sometimes spoke very candidly to people in a very very descriptive ways because that was the fitting way to describe their sinfulness and what he was going to do to them and so it was they don't translate it proper but you know to 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 demonstrate that but in the hebrew it most certainly says things that are shocking sometimes. He says in verse five, for this you know with certainty. Listen to this. For this you know with certainty. Do I know this for certainty? Because in today's world, it's ridiculous. It's unbelievable how many churches do not believe that people who live this way go to hell. But he says this You know for certainty that no immoral person or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, in Galatians, he gives a much larger list. Let me read it to you. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 17, he says, for the flesh sets his thing. Oh, let's skip down. Verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarned you just as I have forewarned you that those who practice, key word, practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. As I say, you will not see or enter heaven because you're not a new creation. Because no one who practices these things have been made new because no one who's died to sin can even possibly think about living in it. You can't practice it as a lifestyle because you're not Dead to God anymore. In fact, it says what in Romans 6? You're a slave in regard to righteousness. righteousness. So you cannot practice. When somebody says, So you're saying that, you know, what if a person believes the good news and then they just go off and live a life of debauchery and, and they might not use that word, of sin in some way for their lifetime. And and then, you know, and so are you saying that they're not going to go to heaven though they believed? Belief doesn't get you into heaven. Being a new creation gets you into heaven. Being born from above gets you into heaven. Belief is the pathway to being born from above. People will say, people don't go to hell because of unbelief. That's true, kind of. Because Satan believes, the demons believe and shudder, as James says. Everybody who's spiritual believes, that is to say, every spiritual entity believes the same thing about God. They've read the Bible. They just aren't new creations. They're not born from above. They cannot enter. The one-third of the angels that fell with Satan cannot enter. Satan cannot enter, right? So it doesn't matter if they believe. It matters if they believed from their heart and agree with God as a human being on this earth while being here in flesh. If you do, God will make you a new creation. But you have to believe with your heart and confess with your mouth. So often, people get the concept of belief confused with confession. Confession is not belief. This is believe in your heart and confess that belief with your mouth. So rather than just, some people will say, raise your hand in the back, you know, repeat these words or just say it in your head. You don't have to say it. And people will raise their hand and repeat a word. Is that the way God says get saved? They, they, they missed two parts. They didn't believe it in their heart, nor did they say it with their mouth. It's not their belief. It's somebody else's belief you're repeating. He doesn't say, repeat somebody else's faith to be saved. Right? So if you are saved, you will pursue God. Right? It says that, I love Timothy what he says, if you're faithless, he is what? Faithful. Faithful. Because children of God are going to be faithless at times. Right? Weak, afraid, We're going to be stupid, right? Because we're ignorant. We don't know how to present our flesh. Our flesh takes advantage of it and we act like fools in the moment. We'll be faithless at times, but he's faithful. But if you deny him, he will deny you. For he, you know, that's that's the reality of it, right? If you deny him, he will deny you because the child of God can't deny him. So said, Somebody says, well, he believed years ago and then he just walked out and denied the Lord. It's like, it's because he was never saved. He was never saved. That's why. It's an important distinction. They went out to inherit the kingdom of God. It says, don't let anybody deceive you because of these things. The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience, verse six. And then he says this, and this is where we were going to all the time. For you were formerly darkness. No, he says, he doesn't say you were formerly walking in darkness. He says you yourself were formerly darkness, but now you are light in respect to the Lord, right? Light in the Lord, does it be in respect to? In other words, what kind of light are we? Well, what kind of light is Jesus? Right? What quality of light does Jesus have emanating or illuminating from himself, emanating from amongst himself, right? Out of his pores, out of his veins. What's the light that comes out of him? What is it? The Old Testament is called what? It's your kind of glory, right? In the New Testament, you look in one of the few places you get to see the light on his face after the resurrection, not... On the Mount of Transfiguration, we see his clothes and his face light up. But is in the book of Revelation, right? His face is light. So you get to see light shown like the sun. Right? He is light. And his light is that of God's light. And your light in your spirit is of that quality. It is light in respect to the Lord's light. So you have been made new or a true child of God because as James says, God is light and in him there's no darkness. And Jesus is light. You're, you are light. You are light, it says. No, that's an equative concept, right? We call it an appositional noun. But in this case, you are light. You are light. You equal light Spiritually. So the quality of your spirit is light. It's pure, undefilable. Therefore, he says, walk, there's our third walk, right? As children of light. Now, are you only light in respect to Jesus the way he's light, which is God's light? Then he calls you a child of light. And who are you a child of? God. What does God call them, James? Light. You're a child of light, a child of God. How much clearer can he make it, right? He just says the same thing over and over and over, but it's magnificent and wonderful because it solidifies every concept of, of, that people would bring against us as error, and it, it, it solidifies any falsity as falsity, Right? Because when you see the clarity of the Scriptures, you're constantly reminded, wow, yes, this is true. This, this is what he's trying to remind me of. This is what he's trying to convince me of. That walk in light. Well, what would light be? And this goes back to verse 2. What would light look like? And the reason why I, I focused on the negative aspects of verse 2 was because of verse 9 and 10. And I want to talk about this for a second before we end. For the fruit of light... The fruit, that is to say, the outworking of your life is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. You say, that sounds nice. That's very positive. Goodness as opposed to badness, righteousness as opposed to wrong, and truth as opposed to error. Now, practically work that out in the world in your daily activities, right? The fruit of light is goodness. But well, what if people around you are doing bad and you cannot join in? What is your life going to do to them? Expose them, right? So let's look at what he says. If you walk out goodness, righteousness, and truth, you're going to prove. It says it does say trying to learn in the Greek. it Says proving what the what is pleasing to the Lord. You will prove with your life and your fruit. Your life will be the the proof of what God loves. If you walk out good, good is 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 because that's that's. That's contextually discerned, good, right? Righteous and true. Good, righteous, and true. And so he says, if you, if you walk those out, that's the fruit of your life, you will prove to the world what is pleasing to the Lord. But what does proving to the world and proving to yourself, what does that do in darkness? Well, it exposes it, right? That's why he says, do not, he says, verse 11, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. That's the natural implication. Duh. Did he need to say that? No. Because if you're walking in goodness, righteousness, and truth, you're definitely not going to participate. This is not a new section. It's the logical implication. Just in case you need a kindergarten starter kit you know, for your brain to kick in, this is the information. Duh. Don't participate. The unfruitful deeds of darkness. But rather, even, because most of us say, but rather turn and walk away and don't be a part of it. That's what all of us want to do. All of us want to just leave the situation and not be a part of it. What does he say? Rather proactively do what? Expose it. Are the people that you expose going to feel loved by you? Probably not. <laughs> Are you going to be a sweet aroma to God in doing it? Yes. 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 Are you going to feel after you've gotten 30 minutes of hatred from them accusing you of being not socially as skilled or you could have been nicer or if you would just do it this way and whatever, whatever, and you get your beat down from these people because you win the argument, but you don't, but they attack your integrity to death. Are you going to at the end of that still say, I was a sweet Roman guy? That's where you got to get to. And if you were, if you, if you can find a fault, if you can find somewhere to mature, mature. But if you can't, then you have to be content. You have to be content. Because any time light exposes darkness, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil, right? They don't want to be exposed. This is John 3, 17, 18, 19, 20, right? Where it talks about that. And guess what? Our flesh still remains in what? Darkness, right? It's still fallen. Does it like to be exposed? Does it like to be called out? And will it fight for its integrity? For it will it fight for its spiritual integrity integrity, for its religious quality? Yes, it will fight for its religious quality. It, it will fight for its religious dignity, you know, for its accomplishment, for its its effort. I like that one. That's always nice. the, the flesh will fight for its effort. I'm trying. That's nice flesh. <laughs> no, you're not. You're deceiving, is what you are. When you expose someone, expect it not to go well. If you expect that, in advance, you'll prepare your mind, you'll be sober, prepared not to get into sucked into the battle, right? not answering the fool according to the folly, but rather a- answering the, cool, the fool according to the actual foundational presuppositional of folly of the moment. That's why he says, verse 12, for it is disgraceful even to speak of such things which are done by them in secret. And this is an important verse to understand. It's terribly simple, but it seems almost impossible to understand it first. At least it did for me until I like stared at it until my eyes fell out of my head. And then I finally was like, duh, you're, that's the dumbest thing. Um, so easy. <laughs> verse 13, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. Listen to this, for everything... That becomes visible is light. You go hold on a second. How can darkness become light? It's the easiest answer. Have you ever watched America's Funniest Home Videos? You ever watched America's Home? You ever seen the people jumping on the tra- You know, jump off the house onto the trampoline and they miss, or it goes through and they blow it up. What do you learn from watching the videos? Not to do it. So therefore, that which is dark. Becomes light because you get through watching the darkness, the illustration of what not to do. Therefore, the what not to do becomes a light book of don't be this guy, right? <coughs> don't be the idiot. So when you, I love watching America's funny song videos because it reminds me of this verse. It's, it's the consummate re- repetition of this verse being applied. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. And it's all, you're learning what not to do by watching people do it. Right? So by exposing it, the darkness becomes the guidebook, you know, becomes the uh, light itself because it's in the light. Once the darkness is in the light, it becomes an illustration now of what not to do. That's why it says all that is visible becomes light because it's visible now. Right? So now we know what not to do. Now, you can't live by what not to do, you want to live by what to do. But you got to start sometimes by examining what not to do (laughs) because he said to repent itself is to stop doing one thing, to turn from that one thing, and to go the other way, right? But what if you stop doing one thing, you turn from it, but then you don't know exactly what to proactively do, right? That's where renewing your mind comes in and then figuring out your forward path, but First, you have to stop doing the one thing. Don't jump off the house onto the trampoline that's ten years old. So you just go right through it and bomb yourself <laughs> onto the ground, right? <laughs> okay. Or those brilliant people who try to run and like on a wet ground and jump into some sort of like you know, above-ground pool and <laughs> blow themselves up. the Pool breaks, flows in, blows, busts the window, water floods the house. You know, it's like, oh, we know now not to do this, right? No one will ever do this in the family again. We've just cost ourselves a lot of money, you know. So it's uh, that, that verse. I hope you won't forget that verse and how that applies because it's, it's funny. Rather, he says this. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, Arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And in a way, that's me talking to my flesh, right? Me talking to my spirit. Wake up, sleeper, you know. right? Christ will shine on me, and I'm talking to me about me like, hey, Put this flesh to death. Stop it from doing its evil. Wake up, spirit. Walk in newness of life. Christ will shine on me. And then he says this. uh, uh, We'll look at it next time. That's why he turns his attention to now walking in wisdom, which we will cover next time in verse 15. So, all right, well, let's close in prayer and we'll go from there. Father, thank you so much for this time of fellowship, this time of teaching. I pray that it is uplifting to everyone here that uh, they will examine their own personal walk with the Lord and find contentment in being a fragrant aroma. Not that they're uh, saying that, not that we are saying that that there's no more growth to be developed, that there's no more uh, maturity to be gained, but rather that you accept us where we are, if we're doing the best to present ourselves according to the the knowledge that we have in worship to you, to honor your son Jesus Christ in all areas that he rules, to relate to him as a brother, to relate to him as a friend, to relate to him as our precious and magnificent savior. And so we thank you so very much for the kindness of not just adopting us legally as children, but rather making us new creations. Your children, divine light in our spirits, and one day to have the flesh be represented in the same way. May you you be pleased with our time this morning that we were a fresh aroma to you, smelling good. And so we pray that you would continue to build us up individually and increase our effect, open doors, bring people in. Increase the, 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 the outreach to this community. It's been in my heart when I moved here. Father, as you well know, to become a light in this community together and to do great things for you. I don't know what that means. I know that greatness can just be in a single act of love. But I want to outreach tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions. And I know we all do. And so we pray your blessing. We pray for your hand to open the doors. Pray for your favor to be poured out. We pray for your preparations to be made because all those things are something really only you can do and so with that give us the faith give me the faith to know exactly what moves to make what risk to take what sacrifices to make and so we pray in jesus name amen Amen.